Good morning, everybody. I want to go ahead and invite our children to Children's Church, uh, first through third grade. If you're uh, interested in going, teacher will meet you in the back. Let's, uh, let's start our time in the Word with prayer. Lord, uh, you bore five wounds on Calvary, but beyond the wounds, you bore our sin. You became a curse for us. And so at the end of that verse that we just sang, we can say, don't let that ransomed sinner die because, Lord, by your wounds we were healed. You have ransomed us. Thank you for that. Lord, I pray uh, this morning for uh, Revive AV um, as they meet this afternoon. I pray for uh, Pastor Jeff. He's had a, a full week with moving and all the things that have been going on in uh, that family's life. We pray, Lord, that you would fit him for the service tonight. Lord, would you speak your words through him? Have him say what, what needs to be said from the scriptures. We pray for the success of the ministry of Revive AV. Lord, would you continue to build that church and draw many to yourself through them? We thank you for their partnership in the gospel and um, just pray that you would uh, fill them, Lord, with, uh, with disciples that you draw many to yourself. Lord, would you be with us now as we look at your word? Um, we pray that uh, you would, through the power of your spirit, open our minds and our hearts to understand and believe. Lord, motivate our hands and feet to obey. And we ask all these things in Christ's name for his glory. Amen. So um, back to Luke, <laughs> like we ever left, right? Um, so uh, again, what's going on is we're in the final week of Jesus as he's going towards the cross. He's in Jerusalem and he's having these run-ins with the, uh, the leadership. And we saw last week the, the con uh, confrontation they had. This week, they don't give up. They come right back at him. They're, they're not going to give up on trying to get Jesus. They, they think that they're smart enough to hook him. And so this morning, we're going to see this, this next attempt that they have and, uh, and watch how he deals with it. And again, Luke is written for us so that we would be better disciples. Remember the beginning, he's, Luke told Theophilus, I want you to be certain of the things that you have been taught. And so this is for disciples. So again, this morning, the confrontation is with the, the leadership, with the unjust leaders of Israel. And that's who the answer goes to, but it's said in the presence of the disciples so that they hear, so that they get it. And then the fact that all three of the synoptic gospels record this particular episode means this is for us too. And so what we get to do is we get to watch Jesus answer a challenge and then learn from his answer. So that's, that's going to be our approach to this is we're going to listen to his answer and then see how it applies to us. Um, and again, the story is pretty straightforward. It's a, it's a pretty straightforward story, but when we start tugging at it, how does it apply? What do we do with it? What does it mean? That gets where it's, that's where it gets a little more complicated. So here's how it begins. The scribes and Pharisees sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he told the parable against him. And they remember the parable last week about the vineyard and, and the owner of the vineyard throwing people out. And the crowd said, oh, never. That would be terrible. And Jesus said, no, he's going to pitch him out and he's going to bring in new workers into the vineyard. They understood it. They got it. The leaders of the people said, hey, he's talking about us here. And we're in charge, and he's not allowed to challenge us, um, excluding the possibility that he could actually be the Messiah and challenge them and then throw them out. They're still proceeding on that same idea that they're in charge, and they honestly believe it. And so that's what happens this week is they're, they're sending somebody in, and they're going to try to get him again. Um, they couldn't grab him at the time because they still feared the people. You're not a leader if you're not leading anybody. 
And if the people revolt against the leaders, then they're not leaders. Uh, so they're, they're, they're afraid to grab him. They're going to try to trick him. And so here's what happens. They watched him, and they sent spies. They sent spies <laughs> to a public figure standing in the middle of the temple, preaching and, and teaching the people. They send somebody in as spies. Like, there you go. Let's, let's sneak in there and get him. Who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so that they could deliver him up to the authority and the jurisdiction of the governor. So here's the plan. We're going to catch him saying something that we can spin as revolutionary, and then we'll go to Pontius Pilate and say, dude, you got to deal with this guy. He's going to cause another uprising, and so you got to arrest him and get rid of him. So this is their plan, is to, to trick him into saying something so that the Gentiles will take him. Isn't that what Jesus said previously? I'm going to Jerusalem where I'll be rejected and sorely treated and then turned over to the Gentiles and killed, but I'll be raised again on the third day. Again, this is exactly what he said would happen, and we're seeing it unpack right in front of us. So they send these people in who pretend to be sincere. Oh, yes, I'd love to hear about Christianity. Wouldn't that be grand? That, that's, they, they couldn't care about that. That's, that's furthest thing from their mind. They, what, they, what has happened is the leadership have loaded them with a question. Here's the question we're going to use. You pop this question, and we got him. There's no way out of this. And so they, they go to him, and they flatter him at first. Because Jesus, you know, is really impressed by people, right? He's going to fall for flattery. Normally, this would probably work, but Jesus is not your normal teacher. So he's not buying the flattery. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly, for you show no impartiality, but truly teach the way of God. That is an accurate statement. There is nothing wrong with that statement. It's absolutely true. The fact that the people who said it didn't believe it and thought that Jesus would believe it, they're trying to manipulate him. We'll, get him. we'll soften him up with this nice flattery, and then we can draw him in. So once we got the, the battlefield soft, then we're going to go in. But it's true. <laughs> Jesus is teaching rightly. He doesn't show partiality, and he does teach the true way of God. In, in the best of lies, in the best lie that's ever told, there's truth. It's just what you do with it. And that's what these folks are doing. So these are spies. These are, this is James Bond. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's, they're going in and they're throwing these questions. They're preparing the ground. They're trying to trick him into this. They picked the right people for the job. So here's the question that they pop. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? That's the question. Um, that simple question is loaded with so much weight I, I, I got to stop and do a little history here. I wish I was as good as my history professor from seminary, John Woodbridge. He would tell stories from history, and you just felt it. And I'm not that good. <laughs> I'm not that smart. But I'll try not to be boring. How's that? Um, so this question about paying tribute to Caesar. And we know that it's a, a denarius because later he says, bring me a denarius, let me see it. So this tribute that Caesar demanded was one denarius. And it was demanded... One denarius per person per year. Not a big amount of money. A denarius is one day's wages. Can you afford one day's wages out of the entire... I wish our taxes were that low. That wasn't bad. But here's what happened. Around 6 AD, Quirinius was the governor of Judea, and he imposed this census. Does that sound familiar? This is a historical fact. Quirinius is mentioned in the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. So Quirinius is, is the, the governor of Judea, and he says, look, if I'm going to tax these folks, I've got to have a census. I've got to know how much taxes to expect. And so he calls this uh, census for taxation purposes to figure out how to levy this tax. So uh, there was a man named Judas of Galilee, and he said, this is just flat out wrong. 
And he encouraged the Jews. He said, whatever you do, don't register. We're not going to go along with this. And if Jews went and registered, he went and burned their houses. Popular guy. You know, that, that's going to win friends and influence people. But he also said, don't pay the tax. He, he was encouraging people to refuse to pay the tax. So Judas leads this revolt. Um, he opposed the taxes. He said, Rome has no authority to impose this tax on us. One denarius. And, and the, the tax was, it's no big, huge help to, to Rome either, is it? It's a tiny thing. What it was was Rome's way of saying, we're in charge. We're going to charge you one denarius for the privilege of letting you live. So cough it up. So Judas leads this revolt. Around 4 BC, he goes, um, that must not be 4 BC because it was around 6 when he did this. Well, no, it was around 4 BC. He had started this stuff. And what he did is he went to the temple, and Herod the Great had built the temple. And over the main gate of the temple, he put an eagle. Big deal, right? I mean, we got an eagle on the top of our flagpole. What the eagle was, was it was the symbol of Rome. It was the symbol of Roman authority. And he sets this up over top of the main gate as you come into the temple. What Herod was saying is, we're doing this because of Rome. So Judas goes to the temple, and they cut down the eagle. It's called the Golden Eagle Revolt. So he went and he purged the temple of this, this what he figured was an unrighteous symbol, because didn't God say, don't make an image of anything on the earth? And here's this big image sitting there. So Josephus, Josephus was a, a historian. He wrote, uh, he was a Jew, but he kind of, he kind of went with the, the Romans because they won. And so he's writing this Roman history of the Jewish people to help him understand. Jo, uh, Josephus wrote about Judas and called him the founder of the fourth sect of Jewish philosophy, who taught that God is the only ruler and Lord, and neither death nor any dread should make them call any man Lord. So one of the things that Judas did is he taught about this idea of the kingdom of God. God is the only true king. You don't call anybody Lord except for God. So when Caesar demanded that people say Caesar is kurios, which is Caesar is Lord, he was leading this revolt saying, you don't do that. God is our Lord. That's it. And um, Judas was uh, considered by many he was going to be this Messiah. He was going to be this one who was going to, uh, um, lead the nation. He was going to ascend to the throne. And this, he's actually mentioned in the Bible. Judas of, Mac, Judas of Galilee is actually mentioned in the Bible. When the leadership are trying to figure out what to do, not with Jesus, but with his followers, Peter and John go to the temple and they start preaching and they're like, what are we going to do with these guys? They won't shut up. Uh, Gamaliel, who was a prominent rabbi at the time, he kind of gives a speech, and one of the things he says is he's talking about people who have risen and fallen before, and he says in Acts 5.37, after this last guy I just talked about, Judas the Galilean arose in the days of the census and drew some away uh, after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. Um, what happened was Judas was arrested and executed. So that's the history. I hope I wasn't too bad um, trying to channel my inner professor there. Do you hear everything that was involved in that, what he did? He talked about the kingdom of God. You don't call anybody Lord except for God. That's God's kingdom. God's the ruler. God's the Lord. He talked, uh, he led this revolt and was considered to possibly be the Messiah, the one who would ascend to the throne. And then finally, he cleansed the temple. He got rid of the, the icon. He got rid of the, the symbol of Rome out of the temple. And so when people look to Jesus, 
they're saying, is this, maybe this is the one. Judas wasn't it, but maybe Jesus is. Maybe he's going to be the Messiah. So here's the last straw to prove that he's a revolutionary. What do you think of the tax? Judas opposed the tax. That was only about 30 years prior to when Jesus is doing this stuff. It was still pretty fresh. That still had an impact on what was going on in those days. So if you're older than 35 or so, maybe you'll remember this. 30 years ago, it wasn't that long ago. 30 years ago, a bomb destroyed the US Embassy in Beirut. Okay, that, that happened 30 years ago. Geraldine Ferraro was Walter Mondale's running mate, the first woman on a major ticket. And Oliver North, Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North, testified before the House and Senate Foreign Affairs Committee about the Iran-Contra affair. Does any of that sound familiar? Do we still have those kind of things going on today? Females in politics is still kind of a big deal. Hillary lost because she's a woman and people hate women, apparently. Um, Bombings in Beirut, there's still stuff being bombed all over the place, isn't it? And if we have any more testi people testifying in Congress, it's just going to weigh them down. I mean, these kind of things still go on. That was only 30 years ago, and the repercussions are still being felt. As a matter of fact, Judas, uh, who died well 30 years before this, Josephus says it's his fault. His fourth philosophy, his, his zealotry, it's his fault that Jerusalem fell in 70 AD. So even though he was already dead, they, that's the kind of thing. So when Jesus is asked this question, should we pay this tax? It's not a passive question about taxation. It's a very specific tax about, a question about this particular tax and about revolution and about the authority of Rome over the Jewish people. It is a load, they've just dropped a time bomb in Jesus' lap. And so what they're thinking is, if he says, no, we shouldn't pay the tax, bam, we got him. We'll go tell Pilate, he's another Judas, you need to execute this guy too. He, our hands are done. We're, we're, the work here is finished. If he says, yes, we should pay the tax, the people are all going, well, what a compromiser. What a wimp. Why should we do that? We were looking for somebody to lead us, and now we, you're telling us to capitulate? And the people will wander away, and bam, we win again. So this is the time bomb they've just dropped in Jesus' lap. This is what their thoughts were. And it's loaded with all of that history of Judas. And so how is he going to answer? How is he going to get out of this? How do you answer this question without being wrong either way? And so surely they got him. You know, the, the hook is set. The bobber is going down. All we got to do is set that hook and we reel him in. We got him. Here's what happens. He perceived their craftiness and said to them, show me a denarius. And so they show him one, they bring it to him, and he says, whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar. And he said to them, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. Bunch of things just happened in this. He says, show me a denarius. Show me the form of taxation. And what did they do? Did they say, wait, we got to run home? Or, wait, i got to go hit the bank. Let me see if they got any denarius in the ATM. They had the denarius. It was with them. Were they ready to pay the tax? They were fully equipped to go pay the tax. They were going to go pay it. They had the money with them. So he says, show me the denarius. Oh, you were going to pay it, were you? And so the question still remains, though, is it right for us? Do we have to pay this? 
And so his answer is, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. So one of the things that's going on is, is I love this word. He said he, he recognized their craftiness. Um, the NIV translates that as duplicity. That's a great word, duplicity. The word behind that is actually all work. If you translate it literally, it's all work. It's like, how do you get from all work to craftiness? Well, what it means, what it came to mean in Greek was they're capable of doing anything. That's that all work. So this is their craftiness. Is these, these folks are devious. They're capable of anything. So they show them the denarius, which they claim they shouldn't have to pay. And then he says, render to Caesar with Caesar's. So we don't know which coin it was. There were a bunch of denarius in circulation at the time. And the different denarius had different pictures and images on them. But what this may have well have been was the, uh, the, the uh, denarius of Tiberius. And so that would have on the front side of it a profile of uh, Caesar Tiberius. And the inscription under it would say, Caesar Augustus Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. That would be on the front. On the back side would be Augustus's mother in the form of Pox. Pox was the uh, Roman god of peace. And so she would be like this image of this Roman god. So what you get on the front is dad's divine. What you get on the back is mom's divine. So guess who also is divine? The son. So when Jesus looks at this coin, he says, whose inscription or whose picture is that? Well, that's Caesar. That's Augustus. And whose inscription is that? Well, it's Tiberius. And so his answer is, then you give to Caesar what Caesar is due, but you give to God what God is due. Now, is that a non-answer? I have seen presidential debates and, and political discussions, and the person is asked a perfect question, and you watch them waffle and, and flip and him and haw and not answer and then go off on their, uh, but here's my trajectory that I wanted to talk about anyway. And I've always been frustrated by that. I get to that point, I'm like, why didn't you answer that? That was a great question. And it's not satisfying when you get a non-answer. What was the reaction of the crowd when Jesus gives this particular answer? They marveled. They went away silent. They were, that was a perfect answer. Jesus' answer here is not a non-answer. And so they perceive, well, we're not going to catch him on this one, and so they just leave in silence. So that's basically what's happened is he's disarmed them. The so what question. The disciples are sitting there listening, so now we have to ask the question, what does it mean to render to Caesar what's Caesar's and to render to God what's God's? What are we supposed to do with that? Because both cases, render to Caesar and render to God, are commands. They're imperatives. You don't get to not do that. So it, we have to make something of that because he's given us an imperative. He's given us a command. Give to Caesar what Caesar is due. Give to God what God is due. So for, our, for the discipleship portion of this, we have to pull that apart and understand what it means. His answer is both subversive and compliant at the same time. He subverts the image of Caesar as a god and yet says, now give him his gold. So here's where I think he goes with this. Is he looks at the, the picture and he says, what belongs to God? What does God own? What should we give to God? Well, God owns it all, doesn't he? Genesis 1 and John chapter 1, verse 3, God created everything. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So he created it all. Guess what? He owns it all. All of it. The heavens and the earth. He sustains it all. Colossians 1.7. By the sheer exertion of his will, he keeps all of this stuff together. So if he didn't want something to exist, it wouldn't exist. And then from Acts 17, Paul quotes a, a pagan philosopher and says he's exactly right. In him we live and we move and we have our being. So if there was... In the desire of God, no Caesar, there would be no Caesar. So first of all, what does God owe? What does God own? He owns everything. That's where it starts, is God has it all. It all belongs to him. We give it to him first. Now, the next part of that is, and render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Under God's overruling authority, he says, some of this I allot to Caesar. Some of it I allot to you. But some of it, I, I'm telling you, belongs to Caesar. Caesar. Caesar gets the gold only because the Lord has determined that he will. Does that make sense? I think that puts those two commands together. So you give to God what God is due, and you give to Caesar what God has told you to give to Caesar. Um, I like the way that John Piper explained it. He quotes uh, 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14, and this is what it says there. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors sent by him. So Peter tells us, be subject to these authorities, the king or the governor. Why? For the Lord's sake. And then John explains it. Piper goes on and he says, render to Caesar nothing that you cannot render for the Lord's sake. So when Caesar says, I'm God, worship me, when Caesar came to the church and demanded, you burn incense to me or you die, could you do that for the Lord's sake? That would be impossible. So that's an example where Caesar steps over the line and says, you give me more than, than the Lord has given me, or I'm going to kill you. And so the church rightly said, no, we won't participate in that. There, there comes a time when the state has overstepped its bounds, and you must say no. Because we are not, first and foremost, subject to the state. We are, first and foremost, subjects of a king. We don't live primarily, first and foremost, in a democracy. We live in a kingdom. And as subjects of the king, we're put in a democracy. So when, when in America, when we're asked these things, we give to the government only what the Lord has commanded us to give to the government, only what the Lord has given to the government. And we don't go any further than that. So if our government starts making unrighteous rules, it's our responsibility to say, I will not render unto Caesar what belongs to the Lord, and to refuse. So this is the, the political situation that this, this is set in. And it's becoming more and more increasingly applicable for us in America as more and more rights are being questioned. And, and as I look at the political landscape, I think you know, for right now, we're probably OK. But I worry about 20 or 30 years from now, because there's a lot of things being set in place now that could lead to uh, uh, fascism or a very strong state who's going to dictate what rights you get and what you don't. So we need to have this in place. It's, it's good to get this while, while we're free and able to get it before we have to figure it out when, under pressure. One of the things that I think our country has done particularly well is where do you get human rights from? Where do your rights originate from? 
We have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Who gave you that right? Did the government give you that right? Did the US Constitution give you that right? The Constitution says these rights are inalienable. In other words, they can't be taken away from you. They can't be given to you. They are just part of who you are because of our creator. So that's a brilliant way to look at it. So when, when the state comes along and says, well, we're going to deny this right and grant this right, you don't have the authority to do that. That's beyond your preview to grant human rights, to deny human rights. At that point, we have to tell Caesar, no, we're not going along. Our savior has given us, our creator has given us these things, and these are things that we must do. And these are things we must not do. And you can't step in and tell us to do it or to not do it. Now, what's going, one of the things that troubles me in our current situation in America is we don't just disagree politically. We disdain each other politically. You've seen it. Somebody disagrees with this person over some particular issue, they're a monster. They're an idiot. They're morons. It's not, I disagree with you on that, and, and uh, let's have an honest discussion of it. It is, you are a subhuman for believing such a thing, and I despise your very being. That, that's a bad political situation to be in. That is not how this, the, the creator of the universe made this. He said, everybody is created in his image. We're all made in the image of God. We're all image bearers. You don't get to look at somebody and say, I disagree with you, therefore you're a horrible human being. You're not even a human being. You're a monster. You're not allowed to do that. We render to God what is God's, and we render to Caesar what is Caesar. So when we, we look at the political landscape right now, one of the things you have to be careful of is all the talking heads. Because this is how they make their money, is by saying this person's an idiot or this person's horrible, or the, there's going to be, uh, if this piece of legislature doesn't pass, millions of people are going to die. Really? It, maybe you can ranch it down the hyperbole a little bit, and let's look at this a little bit more honestly. Um, when Lisa and I were at the Gospel Coalition a few months ago, um, a senator came and spoke, and, and you'd think, oh my gosh, a senator at, at a, you know, a religious conference like this. He didn't touch policy. His name is Ben Sass. He's a senator from Nebraska. And his message was, what has... Jerusalem to do with Washington. And the heart of his message was, don't put your hope in politics. Politics cannot, in the end, bear the weight of your hopes and your dreams. He, he said that he was flying and a man's, uh, flying, traveling someplace with a man whose father had died and he was going to preach his funeral sermon. And he said, what are you going to preach? And the man through tears said, why we hope and why we grieve why we hope and why we grieve from a Christian perspective. And what Senator Sass says is we can't take that same message and apply it to our politics. If our politics is making us hope and making us grieve, it's misplaced. And so that's where I think we can take this message of Jesus to give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God, what God what's God. God has given us a hope. Jesus is going to return. He is going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. He is going to be set up his kingdom on this earth, and no kingdom can oppose it. Revelation uh, says that all the kingdoms of the earth have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. That's called hope. It doesn't rest on the politics. It rests on the Savior. That's our hope. And we grieve. Why do we grieve? We don't grieve because our person that we were hoping would get elected didn't get elected. We grieve 
because there's death, because we're still in between Christ's first and second coming. We're waiting for that time when death and destruction and this hatred and all this sin is put away. That's where we're, we grieve now. And so we render to Caesar what is Caesar's. This political machination, it's, you know, we live in democracy. It's probably the best system of government that we've had. It, it's probably going to work because it understands people are sinners and we've got to have checks and balances and that kind of stuff. This is not a bad system to be in. But it's not ultimate. There will be a day when democracy will end. When Jesus rules on this earth with a rod of iron, will we have votes? King Jesus will righteously announce this is the law, this is the way it is. In the new heavens and the new earth, when sin and death and decay and everything is put away, will we elect Jesus to be king? Democracy is not ultimate. Politics is not ultimate. There's coming a time when they'll all be done away with. I think it's, we need to hear that because it, we act as if in this world, politics now is ultimate. It's treated like that on the news. You see it, you read it, you feel it, you hear it, breathe it. It's not ultimate. It's going to fade away. There comes a day when that's all done. So what we need to do is render to Caesar what's Caesar's. And by the way, what is Caesar's is temporary. In Revelation 21, when, when John talks about the new Jerusalem, he says the gates are always opened. And the kings of the earth will bring in their glory. So we render to Caesar, and where does it wind up? It doesn't wind up in Caesar's palace. Caesar's, the place where Caesar lives. Not in Las Vegas. <laughs> but the way, it doesn't wind up in government coffers. It comes into the people of God. It turns into what will bring God glory. So that's why you can render to Caesar what is Caesar's which means pay your taxes. And, and just as an aside, right now, I'm dealing with this. It's what, July, and I'm still dealing with taxes, okay? I'm still trying to figure out how to pay all of this stuff. So when I say pay your taxes, I don't do that from a position where, you know, it's really easy for a pastor because we don't pay taxes on anything. Baloney, I owe a ton of money. And so when I say pay your taxes, it hurts. But... What the scriptures say is pay your taxes. It doesn't say pay fair taxes. Pay as much tax as you think the, the government is entitled to. What it says is shut up and pay your taxes. And so um, I'm hoping that it's with joy that I write my next check to the IRS. <laughs> um, I just had to wrangle with California to get money from them so that I could turn around and pay the IRS. I'm hoping that it's with joy because there's plenty of scriptures that talk about this. Romans 13 is all about rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's. So let me just read that briefly. This is Romans chapter 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Let every person be subject to governing authorities. Not, not righteous governing authorities, not governing authorities you elected. That, that concept of electing them didn't exist at this point. Be subject to all governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. Didn't we just hear that? God owns everything. He apportions some to, to Caesar. That's Paul is echoing. Some people say there's a difference between Paul and Jesus. I don't see it. <laughs> Paul is saying just what Jesus has taught us. There is no authority but from God. And those that are exist are instituted by God. 
Therefore, whoever resists, or whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He's a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience, so you, don't, so you can sleep at night. For because of this, you pay taxes. So tell me, should we pay the tax to Caesar? Should we pay the tribute to Caesar? For this, you pay taxes. You pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. But render to God what is God's. Neither one of these are optional. And this is not, by the way, in conflict with what happens in Acts chapter 4, right? Remember I talked about Gamaliel? Well, part of that process where Gamaliel is saying, hey, don't oppose them. If, you know, if they're not real, they're going to fall apart anyway, which he fully expected to happen. Earlier, they tell Peter, all right, they bring Peter and John back in. They say, okay, you guys, come on back in. We figured out what to do. Shut up. You may not teach in his name again. Just be quiet, and we'll just beat you and send you home. Isn't that great? Great deal. Good for you. And here's Peter's response. Uh, Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than in God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So here's what's going on. They tell him, be quiet, don't talk about Jesus anymore. We'll just beat you and send you home. And, and Peter and John say, all right, you people need to make the decision. Should we listen to you or should we listen to God? Because what we're about to do is violate your very order, and we're going to go back into the temple and teach. That is not in odds with the beginning of um, Romans 13 that says, be in subjection. There is a certain point where that subjection ends. And so when they tell, Jesus, or when they tell um, Peter and John, you can't preach anymore, they've overstepped their bounds. So be in subjection, pay your taxes, render honor to those who are due honor, but understand that's all under the authority of who God is. He's established that. So when, when Jesus answers them this way, they can't respond. There is no coming back from this response. What are they supposed to say? Well, we're not going to give God what God's do? Uh, no. Well, we're not going to pay Caesar taxes. Guess who winds up in jail then? They were coming to get Jesus thrown in jail. If they say, no, we're not going to give Caesar taxes, then they wind up in jail and it backfires. So Jesus' answer is spot on. This is how to live the life of a Christian in this fallen world. And I don't want to say that we're too unique or too, too different, but America is a unique experiment in history. We haven't had a representative government like we do in America. And so when we talk about rendering to Caesar what Caesar, it's a little different for us because we have a voice in the process. We elect our Caesars, if you will. 
It's never happened in the history of mankind up until the establishment of this country. It's a wonderful privilege. It's also a huge burden on us because that means you have to be good citizens and you have to vote your conscience and you have to vote well and then you have to submit. But I voted and I didn't get the guy I wanted. I didn't get the lady who was supposed to be there. Submit. Imagine 300 years before that, before the founding of this country, did you vote for the king? Did you vote for the Lord who owned the property you worked? You didn't get to vote for anything. So when they said, go do, you went and did. We're in a unique situation. And so as Christians, we need to struggle and wrestle with this. We need to be watching very carefully. How do we divide that denarius? Where God gets his part and Caesar gets his part. And and what I want you to be careful of is, is avoid listening to the voices on talk radio and, and, and cable, t- cable news and the internet and those kind of things because what's happening is our parties are drifting apart and hating each other and they're trying to push us into one camp or the other. And what, as, what we have to do as Christians is we have to stand back and evaluate that whole thing and look at it and say, where's the truth in this? What belongs to Caesar and what belongs to God? Where can I comply? When, when should I disobey? And so we have to be careful not to be pushed into either camp, one or the other, because they're wrong on something. They have to be. They're human beings. They're going to be wrong on something. So just take care with this. If we're to comply with what Jesus is telling us this morning, we have to be, keep our eyes wide open, keep our ears open, and listen. And get past the emotional response. Get past the hate. Get past the anger. Don't despise somebody because they disagree with you. But listen and analyze and think and say, Lord, what would you have me do in this situation? What's the right way to handle this? That's, that's how we divide that denarius so that we scrape Caesar's face off the front of it and not give to Caesar divinity when he's not do it and yet not forget to give God what he's doing in the middle of it as well. There's a big discipleship task for you. And, and it's becoming more interesting to work on. I just pray that as we do this, that we would be doing that very thing, divide the denarius. That's what I should have titled this sermon, was how to divide a denarius between God's portion and Caesar's portion. This was nonpartisan. It's the 4th of July weekend, and I just happened to line up this way. This was not my idea to talk about America on the 4th of July weekend. I tried to avoid it. <laughs> but... Like newsflash, we're Americans, and so we got to figure out how to be Americans second, Christians first. We have to figure out how to be live in a democracy second and in a kingdom first, because that's what we're called to do. So let's be praying for each other. Let's be looking for how to encourage each other in this. This is a hard thing for us to do, especially in our politically charged environment. It just is tough to do, and we need each other to do that. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we pray this morning that you would lead us to render to you what you're due, always and without hesitation. Lord, as that that image of how to divide up that denarius becomes cloudy, we pray for clarity. And Lord, Holy Spirit, we pray that your scriptures would be soaking into our minds and hearts, that we would be listening to the Master, Jesus, explain how to live in a world that's divided in a united and complete way. And Lord, I pray that um, our nation would heal 
Uh, Lord, it's been divided before. It's been struggling in the past. Um, there has been hatred and, and uh, vilification thrown in both directions uh, throughout our history. And I pray, Lord, that by your mercy, for your glory, for the name of Jesus Christ, you would heal that here. Lord, we're still an economic powerhouse. We still have a lot of Christians, a lot of great theological teaching. We have sent missionaries around the world. We pray that you would revive America and do those things again through us. So, Lord, would you help America, your church first, but lead America to render to Caesar and render to God righteously. Have mercy on us, we pray, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.